This is a HeadGum Podcast. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We watched Amazing Grace, and we're going to talk about it today on Good Christian Fun. I want to see cats. I wanted to kick everybody, and I didn't. Taylor Swift. Okay, great, uh, great gowns, beautiful gowns. Welcome to Good Christian Fun. I'm Kevin. I'm Caroline. And we're here to talk about great gowns, great Christian gowns, beautiful Christian gowns. gowns. And Good Christian Fun. (laughs) This is the podcast where we talk about Christian pop culture, the movies, music, and entertainment allegedly made for Christians and made by Christians. And just uh, for uh, of all stars and stripes, you know? Of all stars and stripes? That's right. Is that how the phrase goes? You know, I really all, genuinely don't know. <laughs> I think people say that to uh, to to get at this like very vague idea of like the diversity within the body of Christ, <laughs> like people of all stars. It, and ha- it smacked more of like calling it freedom fries, like that kind of vibe. I don't me. love. Uh, you know what I don't love? I don't love all creeds. People of all creeds. What are you talking about? What creed? The Apostles' Creed? The Scott Stapp's Creed? There's the not enough creeds for it to be like creeds, <laughs> like, you know, all these creeds we have to... Let the record state that the creed I am referring to is a creed. <laughs> <laughs> Scott Stapp, where are you at, man? We need you now more than ever. This is when we need you. <laughs> Your silence is deafening. Scott Stapp, step up. I'm, I I need John Krasinski right now. We need SGN back on our airwaves. Yeah, I know. I think that we can kind of fill in. This is our... This is the weekly place you come for positivity That's and right. <laughs> animal videos, I guess, and then sort of like a fun graduation celebration. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna throw a prom for protesters or something. We're like gonna that. throw a prom for protesters. Yeah. We are gonna vote king and queen just like that. That's right. And uh, it's gonna be that couple that got married to the protest, and that's gonna be really cool. And we're gonna have some weirdly <laughs> pro CIA points of view that we like slowly <laughs> thread throughout each episode, where it's like they are—they're actually apolitical, and the most patriotic thing you can do is work for them. Uh, is Bloomberg still running for president? Do you think we can do any ads for him on this <laughs> <laughs> platform? Oh, <laughs> uh, what a what a high point for comedy online! But we're not here to make yeah, fun of you wrong. or to make you go to church, uh, unless. It's a particular church in 1972 in Watts, Los Angeles, uh, because today we are talking about Amazing Grace, uh, a, a documentary, a concert film, you could say, about and starring uh, the, uh, they call her the Queen of Pop, Aretha Franklin. She's, uh, you know, she's the songstress of, they call her the Queen of Pop. I definitely have that right. It's the Queen of Soul. I was waiting for someone to correct me. <laughs> <laughs> 
painful. In the film, they call her the queen of music. Yeah, just yeah. They she gets a couple queen titles. I think. I I think the best one is she's a stone cold singer. Now, (laughs) how how depressed were you guys to find out that when she made this, she was twenty nine years old? (laughs) Yeah, that was rough. That That was rough to find out. She was like what seven years, kind of into like the her big career, like her her fame, basically. Yeah, pretty much. But before we get into it, we gotta uh, enlist the help of a very special guest. So we're gonna introduce him right now friends and folks we're so excited we're so excited to have him on the show he's a tv writer you can catch his work on the guardian or the ringer and he's the host of full court chat the podcast give it the hell up for dave my voice (laughs) the energy is palpable i feel like i've gone to church it's sunday morning Wonderful. Yeah. Sucking on a hard candy. My parents are slapping me, telling me to pay attention. You guys got candy in your church? <laughs> oh well, I'm I, I'm Jewish, so there was there was no church, there was no candy. But I'm just putting myself in the in the spirit uh-huh. of a good Christian. Sort of what you imagine. Exactly. Yeah. I am always curious what you know. Uh, and this is how we learn and this is how we heal what what Jewish people think Christian people did in church what Christian people think Jewish people did in temple and I, we find out today one of the things Dave thinks we did is suck on hard candies mm-hmm. sucking on hard candy that feels like a John Cougar melon camp <laughs> sucking on <laughs> hard <laughs> candy don't even talk to me till I've had my hard candy on Sunday morning and I'm ready to praise the Lord it, it's your special treat that you get after you're done at Golden Corral they get yeah. the little pillow mints, uh, and it's yeah. like, oh, that, what a dream. All oh I need is God. Jesus and a little bit of hard candy. In <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Prime. Gracious. <laughs> there are a lot of shirts. Have you seen those that are like, all I need is Starbucks, Target, and Amazon Prime? Oh, really? I have not oh, seen yeah. those. That's a whole personality you can have if you want any time. <laughs> it's a Jeff Bezos thing. You wouldn't understand. <laughs> Gracious. <laughs> No. Bezos Hive, rise up! <laughs> oh, can you imagine? I mean, listen, his, his little Bezos is out there just floating around to be sketched in fan art and whatnot. Man, Let's remember, seen it. the richest man in the world has dick pics leaked of him. That's the first time that's been true in human history, you know? Wow. It's, it's really, uh, it's, it, it's, it's a leveling of the playing field when his little tiny penis gets <laughs> exposed right. to the world, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you you don't want to body shame someone, but you do like to know that how uh, the proportion of his penis is like, you know, bad compared to his wealth. And sometimes, yeah. you know, but even if the existence of that is income equality. And we need to like stop complaining about any uh, <laughs> gaps in wealth in this country. Correct. I agree. I'd like oh. to pretend that, that there's, like you said, uh, as he becomes richer, his penis gets smaller as some sort of Faustian deal. <laughs> yeah, or like a Pinocchio. Exactly. Oh, I would take Now that. it's just like going up inside of his <laughs> body. <laughs> and then it comes out his mouth. Like oh, it's my gone God. And, like, oh, it just comes out the wrong place. In Inverted penis coming out of a mouth. Oh, boy. What's he going to do with that? Uh, nothing. No, nothing. It's sort of like an Alien 3 when the little monster comes out of the alien's mouth. You Gosh, know? the Bezos me. Tumblr is going to be popping after this episode comes <laughs> yeah, out. We're going to get wrecked. Goodness Can gracious. I ask you guys a sincere question? Yeah. How are you staying positive right now? How are you staying? Oh, what, that, that's, a, that's a nice question. I know, because that's something that sounds like I would say in a tone that would make you feel stupid. <laughs> <laughs> How am I staying positive? Um, trying to 
focus on other people's negativity or sadness that is true and then try to like boost it in some way and then in that like exchange of feeling uh useful to a person in a good way not being used or objectified but being useful to a person i think helps me stay positive yeah yeah i stay positive by thinking about all the failures of my enemies Oh, just everything that is going wrong for them. It just kind of builds up self-esteem inside of me. It's yeah. sort of like, it's just like Jeff Bezos, the inversion. It's like yeah, every time I succeed, they get worse. No, um, <laughs> I, I, I just, I'm an optimistic person by nature. I don't know why. I probably shouldn't be considering the world has gotten appreciably worse every year of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, the last three months, the last two weeks, it's just been kind of a horror show. But I do feel like things are going to get better. Things are getting better. And I've been trying to do things that are positive for people. Like I started um, a kind of informal program of of taking in scripts from uh, unrepresented African-American writers and trying to connect them with successful TV writers and, and trying to help people in that small way that I can donating, you know, trying to be creative myself. Um, because I think if I'm productive, I'm going to feel more positive and happier. Um, and then just like checking in with my mother, who has lived through a lot more history than I have and has some mm-hmm. perspective on like, this has happened before, this this will continue to happen. And, and, and incremental change is the only way to, to improve things. And, and this is part of that process. Fully. Yeah. And, and I think, I think right. you raise a good point where it's like, I think the beauty of like what a lot of... Uh, BLM organizers did with all this like national range rage rather is to make it hyper specific and local. And so it's like, Oh, this, you know, like just a general like pattern of grieving we've seen countless times, but then it's like, okay, now let's like whittle this down and weaponize it to, okay, here's your Cong, uh, your council people. Here's the phone numbers. Here's when the LAPD commission meeting is happening. And like, so I think, I think the takeaway for us in like a personal perspective is like what you're doing, Dave, with like, oh, okay, well, this is a fit sphere of influence that I have. And these are people I know. So it's like, what is the local thing I'm doing that isn't just like, I'm mad about the president again, but it is like, no, here's how I can clean my own house or like to make mm-hmm. it beautiful in some way. And so focusing on those like local things and the people in in front of you rather than like letting the global picture get you know way off control and out proportion yeah head, i think is helpful yeah i mean this all started in minneapolis minnesota and then there was a protest in every 50 every single state in the union you know all 50 states had a protest because we could all say like this is indicative of a problem in my hometown or in a town near me or a town where a family member lives or, you know, it's, it's not just about like, like with the, with the Rodney King uh, uprising in in 92, it was Rodney King, Los Angeles, the LAPD. Now people can say like, no, this actually like, this is crazy and this is happening in my backyard. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you're right. It's the localization of this and, and the understanding that this problem is, is not just, in your town, not just in your state, not just in your country, all over the world. There are protests now in, in the UK. There are protests in Australia. There are protests everywhere. Yeah. So yeah. I think, yeah, just uh, focusing on micro stuff has been helpful for positivity. And then there's sometimes like big macro wins, like the Supreme Court thing. That's, that's a good topic yeah. of conversation for our show in particular. Totally, yeah. But uh, but yeah, I mean, there there's still stuff that is encouraging even on on larger 
national scales as well, even in the midst of a lot of discouragement. Have you been struggling with that, Caroline, just like general positivity? Yeah, and it's uh, it's weird because I, I think I'm also usually an optimist or able to like cling to sort of a, a natural joy, I think, that I, I sometimes have. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know, yesterday I was just sort of like, I think I really um, allowed my brain to fully like comprehend the the like long, horrible years <laughs> of the world. And just every once in a while, if you crack your brain open to that possibility, it's just very devastating. And uh, yeah, it's just like you have to grieve. I think you have to let yourself acknowledge and feel that. And um, but I also don't want to like do the inverse of that where I just stick my head in the sand and like say it's not my problem anymore because it's just too much to think about. So yeah, finding ways to like do incremental change and to keep like remembering that the change is possible and that ultimately like I'm championing that everybody can live and everybody can live well and that we all deserve that. And so I have to find a balance between not like just making myself miserable because then I'm not even championing the cause that I like believe in, you know, which is that people should live well, um, and like thrive. So, uh, yeah, just, I'm just collecting info on how people are staying positive and like staying motivated and also balancing like some self-care in the middle of that and, and not just like getting stuck in the grieving zone, I guess. The grieving zone. Should that be a new segment on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> and it's three fourths of it. Yeah. No, no, it's just a minute. Um, that's yeah. all you get, and then you have to move on. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's my only like hack with it is local, 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 small, 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 personal, 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 and then just like yeah, building you can just feel there. so futile sometimes, but you can't let yourself think that. Yeah. Yeah. But but that's how like change is boring. It's usually not sweeping and vi- I mean sometimes it is but it's usually mm-hmm. just like oh it's like and it's and it's the people who weaponize boringness against you that make you think that it's not possible where it's right. like there can be like a numbing effect so so I think yeah sometimes it's just like tedious but uh but worth it in the end hopefully Dave thanks again for doing the show today yeah of course so of course. How, wh- it's, it's a bright bright ray of sunshine in my day well that's oh. so nice how, yeah. how did you uh how did you grow up uh with religion what's your relationship with it so so as i mentioned before i grew up jewish in in a very interesting way because you know i'm african-american but also jewish and that's a thing that's not uncommon but is certainly very rare where i grew up which is merced california little small farming town about four or five hours north of LA. My father, not Jewish, my father, Caucasian Lutheran, non-practicing, my mother, multiracial black Jewish. Um, her grandfather was Jew, her great grandfather was Jewish. And then that kind of got passed down, mm. which is crazy to me. And I've always been just amazed at this story because we're talking about an interracial relationship very, very early in the history of the country or earlier than, than now, you know. Yeah, um, would that be that like early happened. 1900s? Yeah, pretty much. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, obviously those things were illegal for a long time. Um, so it was, it was, I guess, dangerous for that to be even happening. But uh, yeah, I, I grew up Jewish um, in an environment where there weren't a lot of minorities uh, just in my regular life, but then, you know, going to a synagogue and me being the brownest person in the room was always very strange. 
but it did feel like home and it was so much part of my life. Um, we went to a temple in Fresno, California, which was about an hour south of Merced. So we had to travel to, to go goodness <laughs> to, to, to worship. And uh, so there was no it, synagogue in Merced, I'm guessing. Yeah, there was a very small congregation that I went to for a few years. But the, the bulk of my time as a religious person was spent in Fresno. So it was always a big to do, like we're getting in the car, we're driving for an hour, we're going to, you know, sit in, in temple for this amount of time and, you know, waiting for my mother to finish chatting with people and drinking her coffee, because there's always like a little kind of like meal, uh, not meal, but like desserts and snacks and things after, after uh, Shabbat services on Friday nights. So it was just a long process and a big deal. Friday nights were a big deal in my house. And then Sundays, uh, the, you know, there was religious school and, and, and going and, and learning about uh, the Torah and God and stuff. It was, it was probably the most seminal part of my life was, was growing up and being Jewish. And it was really my identity for a long time. Um, I was in youth group. I went to camps and I went to Israel uh, for my bar mitzvah. Uh, wow. That was a great experience because I, like? well, I touched my first breast on the plane. That was okay. Cool. cool. That is spiritual hmm. it is <laughs> experience. Wait, yes, I'm not. I'm plane? not familiar with bar mitzvahs. Totally, is that part of it? You have to get on an aircraft and, uh, <laughs> and touch a booby. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I uh, on the plane to Israel, I, I got very cozy with a, a girl that was on the trip because it was like a it was like a temple, like a, a community trip for kids. And uh, yeah, I think everybody was kind of like horny and feeling excited about being 13 and, and uh, you know, being adults now in the eyes of, of the Lord. So, so there was, and, and, and God can't see inside an LL plane. Like anything is, yeah. is possible on that plane. Yeah. I mean, that's just what grownups do. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that feels exactly. all part of it. But I, I never I felt like it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's something I've I haven't contemplated before is the connection between like young sexual awakening stuff being demarcated by like the literal ritual of bar bat mitzvah and like okay yeah. like it's for real now where it's like I think maybe in other cultures it's be oh, you're still a kid you're still a kid but this is like no you're a man now like you're grown up so go for it. dive in baby like I, I I don't know maybe it's like. Yeah, maybe it like gives you a weird permission or something. That's funny. I don't know. I don't think I thought of it. I was too young and naive and stupid to think about like what it meant. I was just horny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you, are, you and that girl are married now, right? Oh, God, no, no, no. She moved to, <laughs> I think she moved to D.C. and became a lawyer. Ooh. Oh, right on. Good so I, I, I should. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I shouldn't I shouldn't say her name because I think it all started knows? on that plane ride. Probably <laughs> it did. Yes. She's, like, She's a civil rights attorney. Now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dave can't say her name, but it does run with Schmalian Schmanroy. <laughs> <laughs> She's much older she than me. <laughs> probably. I don't know. She's significantly older. <laughs> One other thing I should mention about my religious education is I went to an Episcopalian private school. And so part of going to an Episcopalian private school, and we, I went because it was the best private school in in my small town. So my grandmother paid for it. Um, We weren't Episcopalians. We had no connection to Episcopalians. It was just, that was the best school. It's you'd have a church service, like every, every Wednesday in the middle of the day where they would just like, you know, do an Episcopalian church service and, and religion was part of it. So I was around Christianity, even though I was not Christian. 
so that's I think where I get this idea of like the hard candies and the like the, yeah. the, 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 the wooden pews and the kind of a very American attitudes about Christianity is just from going to that to St. Luke's Episcopalian school for however many years it was. Was it dicey to like to navigate that as like, oh, I know that personally I'm Jewish. I, I don't believe in this faith at all. But there's also maybe an expectation that you do. They were always very understanding. It was oh, amazing. Cool. I think Episcopal people, Episcopalians are, are one of the more um, not progressive because, you know, no religion really is truly progressive from an organizational standpoint. Whoa. But in terms of like the people, like yeah. very much like they were understanding of it and, and, and they were understanding of, of my differences, both racially and religiously. Mm-hmm. I was also a vegetarian. For that Ooh. entire period Aww. of time, yeah. So I was the weirdest kid on the planet at school, <laughs> and every all the teachers were, were were kind about it. All the kids were were understanding and kind about it. I never felt different until I went to public school. That makes sense though, because Episcopal, like, uh, it's not really technically considered evangelical, or it's like so most likely not to be. So any like brush with the sense of like, wait, what's your faith? Or like not understanding or accepting you as you are would probably be found in other denominations. Yeah. It felt to me like Catholicism light versus like if I went to a Baptist school, then I feel like I would have not succeeded very well (laughs) trying to ingratiate myself to someone like that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I went to Christian school growing up too, from like fifth grade to, to, you know, all the way through senior year. Mm-hmm. But that was like that was kind of a non-denom evangelical Christian school, so like it, it just wouldn't have flown if you were like, "I'm actually atheist or I'm Jewish and I'm just going to continue going to school here." Like you would have become a project for many people. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. And so, like as an adult, how did your faith evolve? Like, do you do you feel like you still believe in God in any meaningful way, or is it different now? No, it's definitely different because I'm not required to. It's not remedial anymore. Hmm. Um, and I just, I see so much hypocrisy in religion, even in Judaism, you know. I went to Israel and, and I felt very, um, you know, kind of awed by the whole thing. And like, wow, this is a country just for Jewish people and you can be as Jewish as you want and no one will think you're weird. <laughs> and then just seeing seeing how prejudiced they are towards Palestinians and Mm -hmm. and the country that they have created they've willfully allowed to fester is just it's shameful and the government in Israel is more corrupt and more far right than it is even here so like that was the beginning is seeing Israel become this this kind of xenophobic hateful country this militaristic country it's like I if this is what you're saying is is Jewish utopia, then I don't really know if I want to be a part of this. Uh, and then, like you know, having having some free thought and thinking about like you know, is do I really need to be a, you know, fasting on Yom Kippur or do I need to not eat bread on, during Passover or whatever? Like, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about religion other than the fact that it did make me who I am today and gave me certain values and certain beliefs and egalitarianism and charity and kindness and and uh you know intellectualism judaism is a very intellectual religion and a religion where people foster debate and do like to have conversations about things and are co- constantly questioning um so i i i have a child i have a two uh, a two year old child and i 
kind of go back and forth about whether or not I want to raise him in the faith. My my ex-wife is Jewish ethnically, but not really religious herself, and she has no interest in it. But at the same time, I think about like, oh, well, I mean, I think it helped me. I think it made me a good person and not a bad person. So wouldn't it be nice to be able to pass that sort of heritage and culture and tradition down to him? I don't know. It's it's hard. I think I'm sure it's, it's hard for both of you too. you know, growing up religious and not knowing what place that has in your life. Yeah. And it's always children. It's, it's funny that you mentioned your kid because it's always children where it actually calls into question. Where it's like you can yep. you can kind of be in the wilderness and be like, nah, who cares? I don't know. And then it's like, okay, but I am responsible for a human's mind in a, like the most significant way. So I have to make some yeah. choices and maybe they're wrong or imperfect or I might change my mind later. But yeah, that's where it push comes to shove. And that's why I have no children. <laughs> that's why. That's yeah. Why, I don't want to deal with the decision making. <laughs> it's primarily yeah. the reason. One of the things I think about too that like would be lacking if if I didn't put future kids like through church or through some sort of tradition too is like I don't know, one of the things I like about having been raised in the church is like I know what the Bible is mostly and I know like a lot of context for things and I think a lot of people don't aren't required to learn about and with Judaism too, like that's such a huge cultural structure that like your kid has a key to a little bit and is not such like, a, you know, so ignorant about it, I guess, once they're, once they know and have like lived through it. But it is, it just does raise the question of like, can I allow them to be close to that and have the proximity without also like getting some of the toxic beliefs that can be part of religion or whatever synagogue you just happen to like fall into so that's the that's the dicey part too absolutely yeah it's it's gonna be a question i have to grapple with until i'm dead which is yeah hopefully a long time from now guys (laughs) just when he turns 40 you're like you know what i finally made the decision i think you should be jewish (laughs) you're going we're doing we're doing about mitzvah (laughs) yeah what do you think about having a bar mitzvah at 40 years old (laughs) Barbit, so sorry. <laughs> it's, okay. it's okay. He might be. He might be trans. You know, he might. He might be trans, and he has a bottom. That might just work we'll out. Yeah. That's right. Fully. <laughs> well, cool. Thanks for sharing your story, Dave. Of course. Appreciate yeah. hearing from. Uh, it's such a yeah. I feel like. I feel like I'm always interested in. We've had a few Jewish or half Jewish guests on the show, and it's uh, none of those stories are the same. Like there's so. I feel like there's so much overlap with the protestant people that we've had on the show the christian people we've had on the show but all the jewish stories have like very different points of inflection and and maybe that's because we haven't had enough people like that on but it's always it's always nice to hear it's a complicated culture because it's both a an ethnicity and a religion and it's its own country and it's it's very weird and yeah yeah it's not simple it's definitely not simple in Mm -hmm. the way that you know being um a Lutheran is pretty simple. Yeah, so all you <laughs> yeah. Lutherans need to stop crying about it. Yeah. There's yeah. people writing yeah. in really every week. Easy. It's hard. How do I know? Oh, Come on. Oh, oh, you boo. ran out of marshmallow <laughs> Oh, the hard oh. candy oh. stock is down this Whoa. Sunday. <laughs> no, there's no jello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Suck it up. Well, let's take a break, and we'll be right back with more good Christian fun. Does anyone need to take a bathroom break or, or anything like that? No, I'm good. Not I. Not I. I'm dry. <laughs> oh, don't. <laughs> New drop. Not I, no. I'm dry. <laughs> <It rhymes. laughs> 
Hey, what if Dr. Seuss was a freak? Not I, I'm try. <laughs> Who, me? I don't have to pee. Wait, is he anti-Semitic? <laughs> I, I feel like... IBS? That... Just say yes. <laughs> <laughs> STDs? Not for me. You there won't find go. me on the, my knees. <laughs> <laughs> I will not catch I would... chlamydia. I will not catch it. I'll see ya. <laughs> Uh, I wish we were still. Drop. I wish we were still uh, in show mode here because this is material that <laughs> this I is love. Good stuff. This is good. Well, you can throw it back in. Yeah, I mean we're all still recording, end. so who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> they said they took a break and they went on for three minutes. This headgum podcast is brought to you by Aura Frames. That is right. Uh, from grandmothers to new mothers, aunts, even the friends of your life, every mom loves an Aura Frame. Holy shit! Even aunts? Yes, especially aunts. Oh well, because. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter and selected as one of Oprah's favorite things. I mean, these Aura frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. I believe it. You have an Aura frame, don't you? Yes, I actually more than believe it. I know it. Uh, I've got one for my mom, my mother-in-law, my grandmother-in-law. And dare I say your aunt? And dare you say my aunt and my aunt-in-law. Everyone's got one. Everyone loves them. I mean, Mother's Day is right around the corner, and there's no better gift than a digital photo frame. You give them the frame. It's got preloaded pictures in there, and you know what? You can update it with an app, so every time you take a new picture of a sweet little uh, person or place or thing in your life, it gets automatically sent to that frame. Exactly. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. Holy smokes. Excellent deal. Yeah, that's A-U-R-A Frames.com. You use the code HEADGUM at checkout to save. HEADGUM. Nice. Yes. Headgum. It's easy to set up. It's loved by everybody, including Oprah, including your aunt. Mm -hmm. So do check them out. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code headgum at checkout to save. Damn right. And terms and conditions apply, of course. Of course. Thanks again to Aura. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Uh... Not yet. <laughs> uh... No. Okay. <laughs> Sing. <laughs> Welcome back to Good Christian Fun. It's time to get back into the topic. Come on, let's go. So we talk about Christian pop culture on the show a lot, Dave. A lot. That's what the show is about. Is it? We actually talk about it a lot. <laughs> hey. Hey guys, thanks for, coming on, thanks for coming on the Bill Simmons podcast. I know we talk about <laughs> sports pretty often, but we're going to talk about it again today. Sports <laughs> and Dennis do. Rodman is not interesting. <laughs> oh, brother, don't get me started. But uh, um, do, do you have any like concept or impression? I'm always curious for like a, a, a sort of like third person outsider's perspective as to like, Christian, what Christian music is or like Christian entertainment. Did you have any exposure to it growing up or anything? My favorite um, Christian musical 
artist of all time is Amy Grant. I had the biggest crush on Amy Grant. I mean, you're human, sir. You are a good company. God, her hair, the smile, hair, that charisma, her eyes, she had beautiful eyes, and she just seemed so, um, (laughs) so loving and and um, respectful, Mm -hmm. just very respectful. And Baby Baby was just all over the radio when I was a a youngster, a little fella. (laughs) And I just wanted to go to the the carnival with her and eat a candy apple. Right, and and like throw that that like uh, pool ball back and forth with her. and Yeah, and then just like slap fight or something, Mm -hmm. you know, something really wholesome. And do a dance like this on the stoop. Shouts out to Amy Grant, who just had uh, a successful open heart surgery last week. Oh my God, what? Yeah, she posted pictures of it. I mean, it's open heart surgery scars, but she posted pics of it and her smiling and looking glowing Dave, as can I ever. tell you something that's yeah that's not gonna surprise you she looks stunning she looks <laughs> how, more beautiful than ever <laughs> how old is she now that she had open heart surgery oh, she's, I mean, she's 50 something for sure she's um, in her 50s I don't know that just that something about Amy Grant having to get cut open like that really makes you think about your own mortality doesn't it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh yeah I mean it's it's as if America uh was wounded in this way, and that's really bad. I yeah, I, I will always remember where I was when I heard about 9-11 and where I was when I heard it. Amy Grant had to be cut wide open and people remember. started fiddling with her heart. Like mm-hmm. that, I mean, she has my heart, so if she needs it, she just needs to call me up. Hey, oh my gosh. what's her most successful album called? Heart in Motion. But apparently Ooh. hers wasn't in motion enough. <laughs> She's fine. She's fine. Oh I God. wouldn't say that before the surgery. Yeah, or if she passed away. No, of course me. not. Yeah. She yeah, also has a song called Every Heartbeat, but I guess she skipped a few. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, this goes on. It's okay. Amy Grant. She's fine. Yeah. I, I don't want to risk it. Okay, A little putting, too close for comfort. You're putting some bad juju out there. Yeah, I, seriously. I hope, Shut up. No, I Walk it back. Say something nice. Say she's going to live forever. She, Amy Grant's going to live forever. She's 59 and she looks like she's 39. Uh, and Absolutely. she's going to live forever. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So Amy Grant. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad we have crush overlap then on the show. I also That's knew about, I also knew about DC Talk. Um, <laughs> that was, you know, obviously a Christian band. And then we were talking about Creed off of the, off of the air, but there was that two year period where alternative rock had to all be about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I remember, all those bands, Creed, and uh, there was, I guess, Chevelle, and they were all out POD. there. Yeah, Evanescence. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah. wh- why did that happen? I don't understand. That seems like 2000, 2001 was the platonic ideal of what Christian pop culture wanted to be and could have been and and what conservative America is hoping America becomes. <laughs> it's like... Monster Truck Rallies, WWE, uh, Creed and POD, and horrible, uh, horrible, horrible Jennifer Lopez movies. Oh, man. Hey, Gigli, <laughs> never forget. I never forget uh, frickin' uh, Monster-in-Law. No, that was that was later on. Made, in, Made Manhattan. in Manhattan. Made in Manhattan. Oh. Uh, but yeah. No, it, it does speak to, yeah, that moment of like Evanescence, Creed, POD. It is like, that, that was an overlap where those people just happened to be Christian that wanted to make music because they weren't on Christian label. It's it. I'm sure there's like an interesting 
discussion to be had about like, that's probably the last time that people in those positions would be like, well, yeah, I got to talk about my faith here because now it's so siloed off. Like even the ones yep. you think are Christian, are like Marcus Mumford is not a Christian. Like they don't care. They're just kind of like co-opting some language. But yeah, Sufjan. Sufjan. <laughs> Do we hold out hope for our Christian Sufjan Stevens? Yeah, I guess he's he feels like an anomaly to me because that doesn't yeah. feel like rock, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't he, rock hard enough. He rocks when he put on that bird suit for Age of Odds or whatever the hell he was doing. <laughs> I was like, music can't get better than this, but... Yeah, I mean, it, it just goes to show that his his songs aren't inspired by God or else they would rock harder. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be a, a deeper drop and, and harder drums on every song. Exactly. Mysteries of Way Love would be house-shaking. <laughs> uh, but what is house-shaking as well, great segue, Kevin, is... Nice job, Kevin. Thank you, is Aretha Franklin's Amazing Grace. Do we know the, the backstory and stuff with this? We've looked Take into, it away. Tell us. Well, this is her most popular album. It came out in 1972. And it was. I can't believe this is her most popular album. I guess I can't. Not her most but popular single, like, but her most popular album. Like, it's yeah. not. Nothing charted higher than Respect or, or any of her other okay. chain, 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 chain of Fools. This movie was shot in 1972 when it happens. It is a kind of a concert, kind of a just like shooting a recording session. But it's also a church service. It is so chaotic and interesting yeah. and fascinating in a way that I've not seen from like a concert film where it's like, okay, here's Monterey Pop. Here's Woodstock. This is like, they're recording it and the musicians are not performing. They're just playing and they're playing She's with her. She's not even her. performing, barely. She yeah. is just singing into the mic. She never hams it up. She never like panders to the crowd or does any sort of like interaction or call or response or she doesn't. She barely even talks. No, the entire. The, the film. star of this movie is the Reverend. Oh my gosh! Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I would say him and the um, choir director, whose name is Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> so, so then, do you want to share what happened with the film? So basically, um, Sidney Pollock, famed director actor Sidney Pollock. Uh, once they decide, okay, Aretha's going to record this album, we need someone to shoot it. Sidney Pollock's like, I want to be the guy. I want to be the guy. I got to shoot this movie. I have to do it. And so he like fought oh. for the job, even though he had just said they shoot horses, don't they? And it was really well received and well regarded. And it's like, okay, well, it's not, you know, it's not the same as like a fiction movie. Like it's like a documentary slash concept. But he's like, I don't care. It's going to be great. I want to do it. So he does do it. They shoot with five 16 millimeter cameras. So there's like five guys in very bright shirts just roaming around the church the <laughs> yeah. whole time. <laughs> and and uh, now the one thing they did not do that Sydney did not think of is like, you know, this is a concert film. Music's a big part of it. We should probably have some slates and clappers at the beginning of each song to indicate uh, when the take starts. He did not do that. And the, the audio was never synced up with the film. They got the film back and it was just a mess. It was just a bunch of reels of like nonsense. The choir, the the conductor of the choir was paid to lip read the footage to see if he could like chronologically, okay, I think they're singing Amazing oh. Grace here and Precious Jesus here. So it was a mess and it was not restored until the early 2010s. This guy named Alan Frickin' Elliot 
takes it over from Sidney Pollack, who dies in 2008, and he's like fully given up on it. The film never comes out. Aretha's pissed about it because she thought, oh, maybe this will be the way I like maybe break into acting if a concert film comes out about me and people see me on screen as like a viable presence. So Pollock dies, Alan Elliott takes it over. He does get the footage restored through like modern processes where it's way easier. So he has it synced up. And then once it's like finally, finally ready, he like, this is his passion project. He mortgages his house multiple times to like pay for the footage and like get in and pay for the editing and for the restoration and all this stuff. And then once he wants to premiere it at film festivals in 2015, Aretha Franklin sues his ass and says, no, I don't want you to put out this movie. And she's like, I like the film. I just uh, wasn't compensated properly. And then band members were saying, no, she actually hates the film and she thinks she's like a background player in it. And it's like... You she know. kind of is. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. to some degree, I, 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 I understand maybe her concern with it, where she's not the most, she's weirdly not the most dynamic person in it. It was probably Reverend Cleveland, the, the singer guy who was conducting the whole show for the most part. But yeah, so she sues, and then it's just like the lawsuits and litigation goes on, even though like the studio owns the rights, blah, blah, blah. She passes away in 2018. And then Alan Elliott with this finished product shows the estate and shows the family members and they approve of it. And they approve of the 87 minute long cut. There's this great story about like, he was just showing a three and a half hour cut to like peers and people who'd watch it. One of which was uh NBA coach, Phil Jackson, who was like weeping while watching what? it. It's just very funny. <laughs> Oh one of the one of the special thanks at the end of the credits is Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. It's oh, very man. weird. I was like, why is that? And I guess this is why. I yeah, There's... he must have showed oh. it to him or or something. So, yeah. So then a couple of months after Franklin dies, it premieres, and then it has like a little bit of theatrical distribution in 2019, and uh, and for like context and for all this there's a great piece on Vanity Fair about it and then Wesley Morris at the New York Times wrote a few good pieces about it as well it's hard to imagine what it what it would have been like if it came out when it's supposed to in 1972 or three but as it is now it's a pretty stunning piece I think I was really enraptured by it yeah I can't imagine it being drastically different because I guess the only other things that could have made it different would be more material like unless Sidney Pollock had this wild idea of how to edit it and and that kind of thing like this is it's a concert film so you have the concert footage and you have the rehearsals because i i I think i read somewhere there was 20 hours of footage Mm -hmm. uh which included concert stuff concert stuff rehearsal stuff that kind of thing but uh, there weren't going to be talking heads or animations or anything like that it probably would have (laughs) been mostly the same thing right well and Um, there were like botched like when they were talking about like finally finishing it they're like should we do like talking heads where like other people in gospel music like frame it and frame the significance of it because it was like one of the highest selling gospel albums of all time and then there was even talk of like what if aretha and the surviving members of the choir uh as well the southern california community choir uh directed by alexander hamilton and and like all the band members like got together in like 2016 and did like one last thing so there were like I'm all so these, glad they didn't do that yeah it would have <laughs> that, that wouldn't have been what you wanted i don't think but yeah. Um, yeah what what pulled me into it was being transported back to that time all of the ex- exterior shots of LA and, and then just being in that church, 
there's something about being in the church for the entire film yeah. and the acoustics of the church and the vibe of everyone and you, looking at the the reactions of of the the parishioners and the people that are watching and really feeling like her sweating and the emotion of the reverend when he breaks down during amazing grace it's like i don't need to be going back to 2018 I don't need people to tell me why this is important. Yeah, can you imagine a talking head that's like, and that's when I cried. And it's like, no, I don't. Yeah, yeah. no. It, ma- it makes me. it so much more mystical in that there's no there's no one explaining like, this is what Aretha meant and this, and now watch her sing. It was just, you watch her pure, raw talent on full display in like the most reverent, strange claustrophobic way and so you're just sitting with that for the most part and then you like feel validated by everybody else's reactions around her and so the 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 movie has like this really intense focus to it it, which now that we're talking about all the things that they could have done I, I like sort of took for granted that the whole time I'm just paying attention to how she sings and the effect yeah. she has on people rather than like, oh, why are they going to explain like who Clara is and like who this dad is and like who this lady with the skunk hairdo is, you know, it's just <laughs> sort of like they just call it out and you're like, okay. And, and then you're just right back to focusing on what her voice can do. And that's, I, I feel like it's such a shame that she didn't see what a tribute that was, honestly, because it's, it's so... I don't know. It's so amazing that your talent is so good that it like purely just stands on its own and feels that that amazing. Every documentary now has to have talking heads. It has to have context. It has to be bigger in terms of its scope. And what's so refreshing about this is that it's small, is that you don't really hear from her like we've said already. She doesn't talk. She doesn't. She's just there as this kind of like angel that they've brought down from heaven and like putting her in front of a microphone is like, please just sing for us. Please, please just sing for us. And it's just, yeah, it's it's a magical film. Yeah, she literally is like sparkling (laughs) the whole time. Well, I mean, the the big thing with with all that and the way everyone looks in the movie is that there is, I mean, it was shot in January, like presumably winter in LA, but winter in LA is still one thing. And there is no AC in the church. Mm-mm. So for a hundred plus bodies or whatever, Sweaty. it's just like, and immediately from like song one, she's just like, like just, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. coming down. Which is cool. You like see the strain almost too, that it takes to do it, even though she makes it look so easy. It's a very visceral experience because of that. Yeah. It's very elemental. And it's one of those things where it almost feels like a short story. If it, it, it feels literary or kind of sparse where it's not, uh, it's it's like a book that's like not dialogue driven, but it's just like these evocative images, and then it just gives mm-hmm. you something to meditate on. And because of all the like outer textual things about it, there's so much like subtext to be mined, and everything is so loaded, just knowing history and just like, okay, well, she was singing in a church for Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral a few years before this happens, and other yeah. friends of her had been shot and killed. Like she was so. And her father, who was uh, a reverend and and very close with Dr. King, like all this stuff. And then just like the history of L.A. And then even like the troubled history of pretty much everyone involved with this in terms of like C.L. Franklin's very dark, troubled past, even like Reverend Cleveland's and obviously Aretha's was a, a tough, tough life as well. And so all those things, even though the movie is not about any of those things, it did, it is just so 
uh, heightened and so emotional for the, for mm-hmm. for those reasons. And just like, yeah, uh, <laughs> I have been like a pretty ashamed the the last few weeks of like so much about this moment right now is like so much empathy and so much like understanding is just predicated on. Oh yeah, something happened before this that informs this moment. Like this moment is not just about what's happening right now. There's something before that. And there's something before that. And there's something before that. And just like literally knowing the not even the deep the depths, but just the basics of history is so fundamental for understanding, for loving people the right way, for treating people the right way, and for like being a good citizen in all these ways. And I feel like history and context is so important for uh for for this movie as well and and it is yeah. something where it's like they're singing about jesus and it's amazing grace but it's also like there's like dark stuff in this movie as well uh, it was only seven years after watts mm-hmm. you know and and that is i a, i think a shadow that's kind of cast over the whole thing and, and and the reverend even talks about like who would have ever thought we would be here at this point yeah you know it, it's it's a it's a recognition not only of her talent, but her importance to culture and her mm-hmm. importance to the acceptance of African-Americans in the world. You know, that she was the biggest pop star uh, in the country at that time. You know, she she was a huge star. And for her to come back to this little tiny church and to do this and and for her to, you know, give her gift in this way, I think it was very powerful and very meaningful. And like you said, this this movie doesn't force um, context. It doesn't force explanation. You're able to really infer certain things based on the way people look or the way people respond or any number of things that otherwise you would be told. And that's boring. That's not artistic. Mm-hmm. That's just like didactic and lame. Yeah, totally. and I I was not really familiar. I didn't listen to this album before seeing the movie. And I'm glad I watched the movie first, and I, and I'm sure it was relevatory for people who had listened to the album a lot. There's a story of Oprah Winfrey calling Alan Elliott after seeing a cut of the movie. And she's like, "Why is Oh Mary Don't You Weep truncated?" And he's like, "Well, the camera guys didn't shoot it all, and we literally didn't have the footage. It's just so funny." Oh my gosh! Think about Oprah. <laughs> Oprah has a note. For yeah, she's you. like, "Hey, give me the freaking song." Yeah, I I want to know what you guys think about this because it was sort of like one of the complicated thoughts I had as I was watching it, and it was. I know that like part of how this was all working too was it was kind of functioning like a church service where like the reverend is going on and then the choir joins and whatever, but I also had like this kind of nagging feeling that like everyone that spoke wanted to like take a little credit for what she was doing there or like claim her in some way. And I almost wanted to like tell them to shut up, <laughs> just like let her sing and let, like let her do the talking. Cause that's, she's fully expressing herself. And, and when like the Reverend would speak or her dad did that whole long thing too. I was like, I understand that this was meaningful for them too, but it also felt like they were trying to be like, she wouldn't be here without me. And I taught her actually how to do this. And I was the one who found out that she was like this. And, and isn't that great? You know? Yeah. I, I think there's definitely a, um, in retrospect sexism that's sort of all over this movie. Of just like the Reverend kind of like shooing her Grabbing. off the stage. Yes, remember he like pushes her away from the mic. She like <laughs> yeah. just finished a song, and he's like, Push. "Yeah, here comes here comes Aretha," and then Aretha comes in, does her music, and then he just like throws her off the stage. It's like this. Th- that's probably why she didn't like this movie. 
Mm-hmm. It's because she remembers how she felt, I guess. You know, if it, it just watching it, it was it seemed like they were limiting her while also praising her. Yeah. It, it is all very, really. very patronizing and very a lot like of ways. patriarchal. Yeah. yeah. And like a benevolent ownership of this woman. Exactly. Who didn't need them, you know? <laughs> not at all. Not yeah. one bit. I I think for I think for people of our generation, our primary interaction with her as an artist is like the inescapable omnipresent stuff like respect and and her other hits but also her as a meme i feel like has been a thing pretty much since the obama inauguration in 2008 i feel like that was our primary conception of her in like her last years of her life until the end and she would do like performances like at the kennedy center and carol king's like losing her mind while watching i do recommend everyone watch that video of like (laughs) one of the last amazing performances she gave but it was it it is great gowns and it is the gifts and it's the blinking gif and and it was nice to see the substance of what animated all those things later on in her life and almost like you do wonder if um those patriarchal forces that we're talking about they're so uh tangible in this movie did push her to more of like diva dumb in that sense and did push her more into like almost in, inventing diva dumb if that's like not too yeah. far stretched but it's like there's not really mariah without aretha there's not really you know p- take your pick celine dion whitney, Houston. Or Whit- whitney. Yeah. there's absolutely no way you know like so so as far as that goes, you, you do wonder if that's like w- what that whole uh, subgenre is, is born out of. And just like these mm-hmm. oppressive forces, like her terrible marriage and just like just the bad, bad stuff in her life. Yeah. Totally. Well, seven, le- seven years later, she's, she's in the Blues Brothers movie and her character is, you know, she's singing Respect and she's kind of pushing back against her her. L- like shiftless layabout husband who is going to go off and be in the Blues Brothers band. And so I think at that point, she's sort of developed this kind of brassy, big, bold persona. But when you're watching this movie, none of that's there. She looks nervous. She looks afraid. She doesn't, she's just, she smiles in this kind of empty sort of way that Mm -hmm. doesn't, um, that doesn't give a lot of credence to her reputation as this big, big diva. Yeah, I I, I couldn't tell if she felt like, contained or if she just felt like she was at work you know and just like i'm here to show up and do my job and do it well and then i'm not gonna like fuck around and and like also be a character for you too you know right yeah yeah i because there are so many like it is such a a chaotic energy throughout the movie because (laughs) it's like the least formal thing i've ever seen as like a performance (laughs) basically like people are just walking around and getting up and crossing in front of the cameras and like stopping and starting there's no security in sight that you could even imagine (laughs) and she is like yeah at the peak of her stardom like one of the most famous people in the world at this point had tons of grammys tons of number ones at that point and then like the congregates are pretty much in church. The session musicians are in a recording studio. The choir is at Lollapalooza. <laughs> <laughs> just having time. Her dad's I doing a TED the talk. The the choir just like f- losing their minds when she would <laughs> hit particular notes. And they I saw were you perfect. Don't, you, you don't you don't uh, you don't just get in in the album. Were there any songs uh, in particular that like were moving to you guys? It I it was funny how like with her so much of like her innovation as far as like pop stuff goes was bringing like both jazz and 
gospel vocalization to things that would just be like, okay, here's a Dionne Warwick pop song. And she's like, no, 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 no. This is how you do. I say a little prayer for you. Or like, oh no, actually Bridge Over Troubled Waters is not a ballad. It's a gospel song. And so it, it was funny to see, particularly in this movie, that uh, made tangible in like the You've Got a Friend mashup or when they do Holy Holy, the Marvin Gaye song. And she is like sort of a Christian weird Al in that sense. <laughs> that You've Got a Friend medley like melted my brain. Yeah, that was the one. That was the one for me. I uh, I was weeping this morning watching it. I was oh, really yeah. not expecting it. I think because of like maybe the the power of that song in particular, and then her like her history with Carol King, and you make me feel like a natural woman being a part of that. You some love and care. <laughs> By the way, verses are two minutes long in, in gospel she songs. She takes her time. She's in no rush. Songs. There is no Where rush. Where do you have to be for this <laughs> Caroline, did you want to talk about that article you sent me and just kind of like some of the writing in that? I thought that was so elegantly put. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't take any notes on it, so I've sort of forgotten some of it. It was, it was basically this piece but, in The New Yorker that just kind of like explicated yeah. the history of gospel in, in this song in particular, Precious Lord, Take My Hand, and what it's meant at different parts for uh, Oh, my gosh. I didn't people. know the story of that song. That, that song is so tragic. I mean, it was... It was um, this guy wrote it after he was at a concert and he got a telegram that like his pregnant wife had just died. And then he went home and, and was grieving. And then a friend encouraged him to get in front of the the piano. And then he wrote this song. And, uh, from what I like was reading, it's just become like this vanguard of like suffering and, and overcoming and like God being with you or, or just like your strength guiding you through it. And so, and then Aretha, has had such a like difficult life most of her songs are kind of these like tragic ballads of like strength and like being tired and being worn and like carrying on and finding god or finding the light or whatever and she just brings all of that to this song and like gives it all that life at the same time it's really amazing yeah and that's that's so much about or so much a part of the african-american you know religious tradition and musical tradition is that feeling of like man this has been tough and it's gonna continue to be tough 
but if I trust in the Lord, I can get through it. And uh, I think that's probably why I got emotional watching it this morning. Is, totally. Yeah. Because that's a feeling I think everybody's having now. You know, it's been so much part of the black experience, but now it's a part of everybody's experience because we're all going through these traumas every day together. Even though we're stuck in our apartments or our houses, we are collectively experiencing it through social media or through, you know, any number of communication tools we have at our disposal. So I think this this is a it's a good time to be watching a movie about perseverance. Yeah. It felt really loaded. Well it felt so loaded because of that. And yeah, because of the current yeah. historical moment. Um there's this uh, encyclopedia of contemporary Christian music we often refer to on this show, and it's basically like it frames pretty much anything that could possibly be regarded as Christian music from like the fifties to like the early two thousands and like, okay, what's the context? The, the entry on Franklin is very funny because it's like talking about when, when the record came out, it was a huge hit and how great it was. And, uh, the the guy, the author, Mark Allen Powell, goes on to say, Unfortunately, fans of Jesus music regarded the album with suspicion, as Franklin did not offer any moving story of a conversion or indicate any intention of abandoning, <laughs> abandoning her worldly career. The inclusion of an instrumental version of George Harrison's My Sweet Lord didn't help, since many Jesus people consider that to be an almost anti-Christian Hare Krishna song. The Jesus people, as the youth caught up in the 70s movement, revival were called, demanded absolute authenticity and sincerity, and they tended to define that quality in naive and judgmental ways. They weren't sure if Franklin was really on fire for the Lord or just a soul singer drawing on her background to sing some Christian songs. If the latter, they didn't want anything to do with it, no matter how well done the songs might be. Jesus people didn't buy Judy Collins' version of Amazing Grace either. They would rather listen to kids from Calvary Chapel warble little ditties than listen to stellar performances <laughs> of, by, of masterpieces by divas who might not really mean what they were singing. That was the character of the Jesus movement, for better or worse, and it is a legacy that has continued to define the contemporary Christian music subculture. I mean, this sounds like people who are into pavement. He's like, yes. oh, this isn't, this isn't real rock and roll like pavement. Uh, this reminds me of when I was first remembering my love of Amy Grant and researching. Just because I was bored one day, I was like, I'm gonna look up Amy Grant, and I I, I realized that the res- response from the contemporary Christian music community to Amy Grant at that time when Baby Baby came out was very negative. Yeah, because it wasn't about Jesus. It was about whoever the baby was it could be your baby your real baby could be your boyfriend it was it was so vague that people were like well i guess she's gone she's gone uh satanic here because she's not specifically saying how much she loves jesus it could have been about baby hitler she traveled back in time to kill <laughs> well, him maybe yeah, in an ethical dilemma yes hmm and that's just something we have to contend with and think about. Not Christian. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any any sort of need for extrapolation was like, oh no 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 no. When you have not specifically said that you want to hold hands with God and walk <laughs> on the beach and share a pina coladas, virgin pina coladas, give him little kisses on the cheek and forehead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then well, I, I mean, don't want to hear it. I mean, I'm sure there was also like the probably racist under pinning of all that too which is just like what is she complaining about what does she think is wrong like and if she's not complaining about satan she's probably complaining about our country and that's just unacceptable you know 
Yeah, we were still so close to the civil rights movement of that time, and and like you said, so close to the assassination of Dr. King and all of these things that I'm sure there was still a lot of distrust and 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 covert racism or uh, or overt racism when it came to the response to her music. Mm-hmm. Which is so silly because it's just like it's it's the way I feel about like uh, homophobic people, where it's like you're missing out. <laughs> This isn't even like I need yeah. to convince There's you. So of something. much to gain. Yeah, but just oh, you don't like Drag Race? Well, you're a loser because that's the best show on TV. <laughs> right, that's appealing to like a, a selfish. All right, uh, enjoy smarter than a fifth grader for another night. Enjoy Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, <laughs> I'd listen to a protest <laughs> record made by Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I also really liked uh, Mary. Don't don't you weep? Mm-hmm. That was a good one too. Oh, oh, Now, the song, this is an old, old song, but you might be surprised to know the version I'm most familiar with is by Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) There's a a version he put out in 2006 that was really good. Notorious Jesus Freak. Is there a Bob Dylan one, too, that you love? Bruce Springsteen. Maybe. I'm not sure. Wait, did him, him and Aretha cross paths? Surely they did at some point. Him and Mavis Staples did. But yeah. What what'd you find so moving about this, Caroline? Well, I, I guess it caught my attention at first because she was talking about um, like Mary and Martha and it, it she started like telling a Bible story mm-hmm. and I was like, Oh yeah, I know this one, this is cool and then I couldn't quite tell what the choir was saying, so then I looked up the, the lyrics. And um, and then read how over and over it's like it's like the celebration of pharaoh's army getting drowned in the red sea after moses frees the slaves and uh i mean it's just a very obvious like meaningful song for that reason too and i I thought that was so cool what she brought to it and how uh sadly it still resonates big time right now and um yeah and just like oh just the that marrying of pain and like uh, and victory at the same time is a really special, potent thing, especially when she's singing it. Yeah, and the in the consolation being uh, not like don't don't cry, it'll be fine later, but just like there there are there are um, points or inflection points of justice that we can yeah there will be a think about and, and and refer to. And I thought that in 2006 when I watched Bruce Springsteen, the Secret Sessions band. Yeah, that's what call, it called it for you. Version <laughs> of it. Historical. When Bruce yeah. Springsteen sings Eyes on the Prize, I believe him, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he does have a good version of Eyes on the Prize. But yes, no, that's, that's a very moving song. I know why Oprah was yeah. pissed now. <laughs> yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Mary uh, wore three links of chain. Every link was freedom's name. Pharaoh's army got, army got drowned. Oh, Mary, don't you weep. Mm-hmm. That was just a great one. Beautiful stuff. That. I know. We really haven't mm-hmm. tapped into or, 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 or talked about like gospel and like civil rights and like just kind of the the rich text of those things and how they've changed over time and, and all that stuff on this show. Yeah. But we, I suspect we wouldn't be very good at it. No, not at all. <laughs> but we would be meaning well <laughs> you know what it's you you can't 
make an omelet without breaking some eggs. So go ahead and break some eggs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Let's talk about it. How many eggs can you break before people stop giving you eggs? That's my favorite. How many eggs for the young man? That's my favorite <laughs> lyric from Blonde in the Wind. How many eggs can you break before you get a lot of people emails from people? start your egg privileges. <laughs> and we do need to recognize our egg privilege and say, like, That's in right. this country, we do have a lot of egg privilege. I, I go out and buy. I, I personally, I mix white eggs and brown eggs all the all time. The time. <laughs> it doesn't matter what color the shell is, because yeah. inside they're all yellow. Okay, That's so true. It's starting to sound and like no, Kristen Bell. For me, Bell. I'm losing eggs every month. <laughs> oh, oh no! <laughs> Lord have mercy. This movie has also maybe my favorite cameo in any movie, which is just a quick zoom in of Mick Jagger <laughs> chilling and rocking out in the back row of this church. It it's was such a so shock funny. and a delight. Yeah. <laughs> he. He one he, he chose the right seat to be in. He should not be in the front. That would have been very distracting and not cool of him to do. And he is also just like so stoked to be there and gets his entire like group around him standing up and clapping. It's very it's very sweet. When he starts dancing and he's doing the Mick Jagger dance at one point <laughs> in the film, where he's just yeah. like, you can't see me when you're watching or listening to this podcast, but he's doing the like funky Mick Jagger dance, and I'm just like so embarrassed for him. Just but also, the- yeah, the weird like rhythmless <laughs> gyration in a room full of people who all can dance. And do all have rhythm, <laughs> and yeah, and happily like really feel emotion in their bodies, and not just in their head or their hands. You know, it's like <laughs> that is the that is one of the the founding principles of of African American church society is physicality and and being moved by it, not just you know intellectually, but spiritually and, and physically. And he's just like jerking around like he's been electrocuted or something. <laughs> like he wants to fit into this this world so much. I mean, and he never will. Did did a young 1972 Mick Jagger Caroline give you any sort of Harry Styles vibes at all? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, I just like, I mean, I, I think he's probably cool. I just, yeah, he seemed so dorky and like so. <laughs> to me, I was like, oh, he's so clearly like scouting for like talent or like how to do this, basically. That I also just like distrust him in general. Well, I there. mean, him and Charlie Watts were there, and and they were in L.A. finishing Exile on Main Street, uh, one of their seminal albums, and. Uh, I forget if it was them, like they themselves said it, or critics said, like, there's gospel influences on a few of these songs that feel like they might have been kind oh, of yeah. like by... G- Gimme Shelter. I don't know if that was on that album specifically, but, I mean, that's, that song has African-American gospel music all over it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Mick Jagger, our, our finest musician of uh, of African American, <laughs> of the African American, <laughs> a student. I, I think it's yeah. wonderful that he was there and he understood enough about that and cared about that music. It's just you know I think hopefully today we can start to see where these people got their inspirations from, what what the music uh, was about before it became kind of commercialized and turned into product like Mm -hmm. without Mm -hmm. gospel there's no rock and roll music at all yeah yeah i know that's why elvis presley what's that got elvis presley who was it there was a was it maybe the writer brody gupta or someone brothy rather someone on twitter said do a big mama thornton movie where elvis is the villain and the antagonist (laughs) of the movie wouldn't that be awesome (laughs) 
I feel like you get on the blacklist immediately if you did that. Like, <laughs> right? People would be like, oh, I'm glad someone probably wrote this movie. It's a great idea. <laughs> I mean, Have you guys why? ever heard uh, like a side-by-side recording of Elvis and the guy whose voice he basically stole, who was the black man who was like a singer? No. Have you ever heard of that? No? no? I was surprised. I think I heard it on like revisionist history or something like that. I had no idea about it. Elvis's entire voice, like his inflection, everything is directly ripped off. Right. We did that appropriated. with We did that with Kermit and John Foreman from Switchfoot on this show. Yeah, a few which weeks is ago. equally tragic. Yeah. No, he, uh, John <laughs> Foreman appropriated Kermit culture in a way that Ugh. I find atrocious. Has anybody <laughs> ever done that with um, Chuck Berry and Marty McFly before? <gasps> oh, gosh. That broke my brain. <laughs> Now's the time. We have it on film. We have it on film. I know. It'd be really funny to do like a, a documentary about, I think actually, <laughs> Marty McFly invented rock and roll. Yeah, um, someone thinks Back a to the white Future band. Is a, yeah, actually a true did it's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, before we rate the album, is, is, is there anything else? Any songs or any moments we wanted to talk about? It's such a. I've got to talk about the style because seeing the clothes and the hair and the jewelry and everything was like such a treat. Yeah, I'm a bit of a, a clothes horse myself, and I love I love fashion, especially men's fashion. Mm. You know, being a, being a, a cis male, um, and I definitely noticed all the clothes. I noticed the like the safari belts on the back of the jackets, like when that was a thing. When it, oh yeah, your suit jackets would have the little safari belt on the back. Um, Did you see the, um, I think it was the organ player's jacket that was like this plaid, oh, like yeah. really bright color. Oh, it was so great. <laughs> and and the the choir and their little outfits. A little shiny vests. I, I was honestly like taken a be- like like really amazed at how, how Aretha looked in that white outfit from the first night. Oh my I was just gosh. like, she really did feel like she had been dropped down from heaven in this, in this Yes. white sequiny yeah she looked incredible like i wanted to i felt like i was there and i wanted to be there and i wanted to be in that room and i wanted to be sweating my ass off the whole time because <laughs> everyone looked cool it was it was a powerful real moment of of emotional catharsis uh but mostly because everybody looked cool and i want to look cool, so cool all the time yeah everyone looks so cool and Can we talk about the big fur coat she walked in <laughs> on the second day that's always been the case she's always been such a funny like hat lady auntie with the fur Stole I, my brass. I think it's terrific it was amazing it was terrific. she yeah. needs everybody's got to have layers man it's all yes. about layers and then underneath it was a thin silk like matching set in like this paisley print it was amazing like the oh the outfit i loved it but one thing one thing morris pointed out in one of his new york times pieces is he said the lighting is bright enough to banish most shadows and then the parenthetical is i don't know that any color movie by a white director has ever lit this much black skin with such care and consistency which i i thought was such an interesting for for some reason, like the sixteen millimeter of it all was affecting and and touching to me, and there's so many you can watch like YouTube video essays about like how celluloid itself and like film as a medium might be inherently racist because of the way like light and skin tone work with each other and like who it looks better on and why digital video and the advancements we've made made with technology stuff is like in some ways is so much more. Um, 
complementary and, and, and fits better with like a variety of skin tones that aren't just white. So I thought that was like, I don't know, that's an interesting point. And I feel like it's interesting too to see something where it's like 16 millimeters, like those camera guys were pretty mobile with everything and, and everything was very small and, it, and it's it's just interesting to think about like a medium where that was them doing it like small and portable on the cheap and that's just something that we would never do now to shoot with five 16 millimeter cameras now would be very expensive it'd be way more expensive than just taking like a dslr with a couple lenses out there it's just something that's mm-hmm. like that trapped in amber feeling and the sort of immersiveness of the whole movie was uh was kind of like solidified i think in that choice for me mm-hmm yeah, it seems like they were trying to do a kind of um, a real verite documentary, like a Frederick Weissman documentary, or um, you know, D.A. Pennebacher, or, so, or whoever it is, you know, who, whoever these the, the documentarians of the time were that were making small movies with one or two cameras or whatever that were supposed to replicate reality, and now we make documentaries that are supposed to replicate fiction. And this, like I said before, it was so affecting because it did feel immersive in a way that a lot of documentaries just don't anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm Wait, up. we have to play Amazing Grace. Why? Oh, just... all right. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to get the full the full pleasure it's, out of it with just true. a snippet. We just got to give him a little, we got to make him want more. It's 11 minutes little long. <laughs> Yeah, if you guys all want to sit here and just make some tea or something while they get to hear the whole song for free, they can, but... Oh, it's going to be... <laughs> just just her rolling into grace. <laughs> How long that takes. Just going... enjoy that. <laughs> and this is where the, the reverend just breaks down in tears and cannot yeah, carry like on playing away. the piano. There's so <laughs> much sweat in this space movie. in his hands. Yeah. It is the showstopper of the movie, too. We're a minute 40. Into the song, and she hasn't finished the first word. Amazing, a whole word. (laughs) I'm gonna skip ahead. There it is. Oh my god. (laughs) That'll wake you up out of your complacency about the new ringtone. All right, well, we could be here all night. <laughs> Listen to that. Her range is amazing. It, it makes religion, you know, the, the case for religion really, really compelling. <laughs> Christianity is good. I was like, this is going to make me Christian again. I better it, be careful. Uh, I can pop into church and I can get this <laughs> yeah. once a week. Like, that's the hometown buffet of spirituality right there. I'm eating good in the neighborhood. Yeah. That's, a- that's Applebee's. You guys know the difference anyway. You <laughs> guys are Christian. Applebee's. You know. And what's better in the age of Corona than a buffet? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Miss them. <laughs> yeah, that's my number one thing I miss. Uh, oh, wow. So let's rate it. We'll give it a thumbs up, a thumbs down, or a thumb sideways. That's a holy toast is the thumbs up. We send it all the way to heaven. Holy roast, that is when we uh, send Aretha to the fiery depths of hell. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. Or if we're yeah, not sure, not cool. we'll send her to purgatory. The space between 
<laughs> I thumbs up, obviously. I mean, this is an an incredible movie. Uh, musically, it's stunning, and uh, it's it's like being transported back in time. It's it was exactly what I needed to see today, specifically. Wow! Oh, what a nice thing, Caroline. What do you give it? Oh my gosh, the toastiest toast you can give. It was. Same, like I was uh, struggling yesterday and watching this I was looking forward to and um, (laughs) it just made me feel really good and like better and hopeful and astounded by like the talent and the resiliency of the black community and what what they can do. Well, thank and, you. You're you're very welcome. Oh yeah, thank you, <laughs> and Dave. You are kind of the I'm just poster of that. I'd yes, say. give me more. <laughs> I need your energy. And I I just I like in in shock of how good she is and just watching. I mean, again, like it seemed really chaotic, but if you focus on her. She's just like a sailboat, like taking every wave and they are all working around her furiously and she knows exactly what she's doing and where to go and where to keep going and vamping and where to stop. And to have that much mastery at that young of an age uh, is amazing. And I'm grateful for Aretha. I, I, it's a unanimous holy toast from the Good Christian Fun podcast. What a document. And uh, even though this is streaming for Hulu subscribers for free, I did pay to rent it before I knew that, and I'm not mad about it because I <laughs> had such a tithe. good time. That's your yeah, weekly tithe. Yeah, send that money right back. That's my Aretha tithe uh, to her state. And Bezos gets just a little bit of that. Well, no, I don't. I don't do Amazon. I do Apple, which is oh, <laughs> Apple. Okay, yeah, those 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 are good people. So t- Mr. Cook gets my time. <laughs> um, and and I'll 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 quote Wesley one more time when. Uh, I think the kicker in one of his pieces was, don't bring a tissue, bring a towel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, because you're going to get sweaty yes, as hell. Yes, that's also And you're going to cry it's a lot. It's hot in there. <laughs> so you can vote for yourself. Please watch this. It's on Hulu now. Amazing Grace. But vote for yourself at Christian Fun Pod. Give it a roaster toast and... Pokemon go to the polls. <laughs> Ballers. <laughs> Sorry, this the show is. It feels so ancient at this point. It, <laughs> hearing that, those Pokemon books. Go to the polls was four years ago. That happened. It will never stop being depressing. <laughs> never, ever, ever depressing. will always make me sad. Just chilling. Dab on Alan. <laughs> Pokemon Go to the polls. Hot sauce in my bag. <laughs> I have hot sauce. All right. Now we're we're bringing down the lights, Dave. We're lighting the candles, and uh, we're getting into a holier space. And we're not here to promote ourselves or plug our projects. We're here to lift them up to the Lord as a humble yep. and loving sacrifice, or if we're hungry, a right. snackrifice. Uh, mm. And we do that starting with Caroline. Uh, you can lift me up to the Lord and, and watch me try to uh, tell you about abolishing police at Caroline's Farts all over the web. Try to tell you uh, about abolishing the <laughs> I will do my very best. Yeah. Um, and uh, I am going to lift up a TikToker, fellas. It's an app where people upload short videos. Oh. And um, this guy, his name is Christian Paul. He's a baker, and he's he brother is, of Aaron and Logan Paul. No, absolutely couldn't be farther from that. Um, he's great. He is uh, based out of Atlanta. He makes these beautiful creations, and he narrates each step of the way. And he's black, so if you're in Atlanta, go spend some money on him and buy his cakes and stuff. Ooh. He's great. He is CP Cake Studio on Instagram. 
and he's underscore Christian Paul on TikTok. Lovely. Or on that when you app. said CPK, because I was like, it colored people cakes? That seems. <laughs> California like, people pizza. kitchen. <laughs> California people kitchen? CPK.com. California <laughs> no, people cakes. CP cake. A CPK right. gave yeah. pizza to the cops. We don't do CPK. <laughs> I, that was the hardest part of this entire month yeah. was finding yeah, out CPK was bad. Bye bye barbecue chicken yeah. pizza. No. But now I'm going to order a bunch of milkshakes from Shake Shack, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben and Jerry's, do your part. Ben and Jerry's is Antifa, <laughs> like for real. Absolutely. They're going to they're gonna be the, the first ones lighting the pitchforks when we pull that man out of office. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Dave, we turn it to you. Yes. Where, can, right. where can people uh, lift you up on social media? What do you have to lift, lift up? Lift me up. Give me my praise. At Dave underscore Schilling. Let the light uh, rain down upon you on Twitter. Uh, don't follow me on Instagram because it's just photos of my son. Oh. And Thank it's you, just for me well, and, and my family to enjoy. <laughs> okay, well, go for it. It's at Dave DW Schilling on Instagram. It's my son and some of my girlfriend, but mostly my son. And um, Your I don't son know is why like I've... the most beautiful child I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I know he's gorgeous. Um, Unfair. He's, he is going to be a real, real cool guy, unlike mm-hmm. his dad. Anyway, I'm still whispering, <laughs> and um, I would love for you out there in the internet to check out my podcast. It's called Full Court Chat. It is a comedy sports podcast where I interview some of the funniest comedians in the world playing characters. That are athletes, so it is a fictional podcast, and it is very good. And the final two episodes are coming out in the next two weeks, so get in there while you still can. Hell yeah! Thank you. Full court it's chat. Very funny. I was enjoying it today. Thank you. You listened. Oh my I god! Did. Wow. Yes. Okay, that's good. As, Gotta know what's up. Just keep keep listening. Uh, give me a five star review. Not you specifically, Caroline, but everybody else out there. I'll do please my part. <laughs> keep supporting. Thank you. Keep praising. Bless his name. Hallelujah. Bless his name, Dave. Uh, You can lift me up at Kevin T. Porter everywhere. And I will lift up... uh, uh, You know what? You know know what I'll lift up? Because it, it it was the holiday last week. Is uh, it was it was Loving Day last week? Is mm-hmm. Loving the yeah. movie Loving is on HBO Max? It's streaming there. I think that movie is so tremendous, and I feel like it's not a movie that a lot of people have seen or talk about. And I think it's so terrific, and it it it, it, it was so moving to see. That was a movie pass special. I saw that at the height of movie pass words, and <laughs> and I knew nothing about the movie going in other than like I think it's a period piece. I also don't know history, so the movie blew my mind. Wow. <laughs> it was like, you didn't know? Oh, is, is this based on a true story? Oh, they're going to the Supreme Court. <laughs> Nick Kroll is in it? Like, it was just surprise after surprise. But that is a, a deeply moving film. I didn't need to see it. I lived it. I know. Okay. okay. Yeah, buddy. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, Interracial marriage, yes. That... <laughs> No, we, uh, we, you know what? We, we like interracial marriage on Good Christian Fun. We support <laughs> if that, it, actually. Yeah, if it wasn't clear, <laughs> we are pro uh, marriage, whoever you like. Even though Caroline it. decided not to participate in that, uh, we, we still do stay in interracial marriage. I feel bad about it every day. <laughs> you know what? There's still a chance for you to change your mind. I've convinced one white woman to do it, and now I'm working on a second one. I mean, do you think he's a keeper? I'm not sure, you know? You know, you know what too. In in and uh, this is gonna be a weird lift up, but I love this show. Hannibal's on Netflix now. 
I, I, I think that show is so fun and so great. And, uh, you know, it's about a serial killer named Hannibal Lecter, as played by Mads Mikkelsen. Hannibal's hot on that show, and that show's super gay mm-hmm. and super fun. And there's no, you know, it's very violent, but I will say it's, it's a show in which there's no sexual violence at all, so you don't have to feel weird about that. That said, he does like eat people and stuff, but but there's no sexual violence. <laughs> what so. a complicated <laughs> recommendation that was. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> What's wrong with that? It was great. You just couched it in a lot of well, but <laughs> if okay, assuming that you don't mind this. But I this feel like good. that was such a nice little roadmap of whoever has an issue, they now know where they'll stand on this show. Right, because I don't yeah. I don't love serial killer stuff. I'm not a my favorite murderer listener, but yeah. uh, Hannibal's fun. Can can you just watch stuff for me and then tell me oh if I should watch it or not. Sort of like a taster. Sure. Oh, you know, yeah. like in the Middle Evil times, like they'd taste the food in case it was poisoned. Can you watch a, a TV show and, and tell me if it's good just in case it's got some objectionable Right, and then it? like identify the problem areas so it's like you might object to this, you might not like this, you might like that. Yeah, I would love to. And then to. I can make my own decision. Wait, we're... Uh, we're PTPRatings.com. Wait, we're Check literally... Caroline, we're literally just describing plugged in. <laughs> plugged in? I know. <laughs> uh, I was going to say ChristianMonitor.com. Plugged in. Yes, same one. Yeah, yeah, same. No, same one. Okay. <laughs> it's like the same concept. Um, but you can lift us up at Christian Fun Pod everywhere. You can go to Patreon.com slash Good Christian Fun. Uh, everything we are earning on patreon this month is going to the black lives matter movement and then you can leave us a review on apple podcasts and for every review you leave we donate a daughter charity to Jeremy, to Jeremy piven uh who's on cameo now for 15 (laughs) grand a pop uh and this charity uh the charity this month is the black lives matter movement as well dave thank you so much for joining us on the show friend Thank you. This was so fun, and I'm glad I finally watched this movie. I, I always wanted to, and this gave me a good excuse, and it was, like I said, perfect timing. It perfect really did timing. fill my spirit. What oh, a what a fun time. And Thank you. You were such a fun guest to talk with about this. Oh, I know. <laughs> Whoa. <I'm>, all right. <laughs> all right. Say no more. <laughs> my spirit's been so full that now I just spit out <laughs> egotism. Uh, that's right. <laughs> there's I'm no room so for humility. Not lukewarm. No, no, no. No. But there's nothing left to say except for an off pods people said. Amen. Amen. Amen, Captain. Uh, can can <laughs> we? Shalom. I, you know, and uh, this... Uh, this album is so tremendous, but can I can I play my favorite uh, Aretha Franklin cover ever? I'm Eleanor Rigby. I picked up the <laughs> She starts I, the song by saying, I'm Eleanor Rigby. <laughs> Just so you understand the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> this Beatles story. song that was just like about a lady. She's like, I'm that lady. Did you know that? <laughs> Incredible. All right. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. That was a HeadGum Podcast.